began six years ago <clears throat> walking through the law in Exodus chapter 20 and on actually all the way through to uh, chapter, what is it, 34 I think it is or 35, somewhere in there, so a little break here and there, uh, but that is, um, we're in lessons from the law and if you have the outline from a long time ago, that is fine, didn't get that on, sorry. Um, but uh, if you have the outline, if not, I actually made some up because I figured that there were none left. So if you would like, we're picking up um, in our long message. I, I'll try not to make it long today because it's going to be like a three-parter. But, um, but uh, we're in our long message dealing with 21 all the way through to the end of or pretty much the end of the law. And uh, we will pick up today. We'll kind of review things quickly and then... Uh, just share a few more thoughts as we uh, try to move along and yet learn the valuable things God wants us to from his word. So now that we're getting that out, uh, again, if you have the outline, you're fine. If you don't and you want it, uh, you want to be able to write some things in, um, I'll just I'll review those things real quickly here in a few minutes. All right. And let's go ahead and let's uh, let's pray together. Uh, Father, we are grateful that you have given us a, a, a word, your word, very precious word, and you have given us the opportunity today to uh, look into uh, the law that you gave to the children of Israel that is uh, still has lessons for us to learn and glean from. So help us to grow as we study, and uh, give us your wisdom and guidance, and may I that you'd keep your people attentive to the word of God and be and challenged if necessary from the words of the law you gave um, here in Exodus. We'll thank you, Lord, for what you'll do and how you'll help us this afternoon to uh, pay attention to your word. And we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Public speaker told uh, this story said, um, uh, I do a lot of management training each year for Circle K Corporation. It's a national chain of convenience stores. Among the topics we address in our seminars is the, is the uh, retention of quality employees, which uh, uh, is, has always been a problem for those kind of places, and I'm sure it's even worse now so uh, with the, uh, the, just since the COVID stuff. Among the topics we address, he went on, in our, se uh, in our seminars is this matter of retention, and a real challenge to is, is found in this, in this uh, area of business when you consider the pay scale in the service industry. During the discussions, I asked the participants, what has caused you to stay long enough to become a manager? Because it takes a while, it takes some work. Sometime back, a new manager took the question and slowly, with her voice almost breaking, said, it was a $19 baseball glove. Cynthia was her name. She told the group that she originally took a Circle K clerk job as an interim position as she was looking for something better. On her second or third day behind the counter, she received a phone call from her nine-year-old son, Jesse. Jesse found out he needed a baseball glove for Little League, and he was calling to ask her if she could get that. And she explained that as a single mother, money was very tight, 
and her first check was going to have to go to pay bills. She said, maybe, son, I'll buy your baseball glove with the second or third check. When Cynthia arrived for work the next morning, Patricia, the store manager, asked her to come to the small room in the back of the store that served as the office. Cynthia wondered what she had done wrong or had she left some part of her job incomplete the day before. She was concerned, a little bit confused. And when she got into the room, Patricia handed her a box. She said, I heard you talking with your son yesterday, and I know it's hard to explain things to kids. This is a baseball glove for Jesse. He may not understand how important he is, even though you have to pay bills before you can buy a glove for him. You know we can't pay good people like you as much as we'd like to, but we care, and I want you to know you're important to us. And those thoughtful words, that thoughtful deed, that deed of compassion, empathy, love, of the manager distrib- uh, demonstrated to her how, in, how good it was to be able to work at a place such as that. The speaker then said, it demonstrates as well vividly that people remember more how much an employer cares about how much than about how much an employer pays. An important lesson for the price of a little league baseball glove. Compassion is something God wants us to have and show. And we know that from many scriptures, and we could turn to a multitude of New Testament passages, but it's interesting to me in the Old Testament that many people today want to kind of ignore and push off and deny is even... Uh, if you say valid uh, today for consideration, because it's a book of vengeance, it's a book of judgment, at least that's how many approach it, talking about the New Testament being a book of love. Yet in the the law, we see the love of God. Uh, You're in Exodus chapter 22, and this is where we're picking up once again. And we left off here the last time uh, we had opportunity to look. And here's what God said in verse 21 of Uh, Exodus chapter 22. Thou shalt neither vex a stranger nor oppress him, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. Uh, Ye shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If thou afflict them in any wise, and they cry at all unto me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath shall wax hot, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall be widows and your children fatherless. Uh, He goes on and he talks a little bit more in the verses that follow that about how Uh, God is a a gracious God, a loving God, and that is what we find in these verses, and it's one of the lessons that we can learn from the law. Uh, Before we jump in and go a little bit further with that and give you some more thoughts that we find in this portion of the law, let's remind ourselves why we should study the law and how we ought study it, okay? The law is not for the New Testament Christian. It's not. It just isn't. Can't prove from uh, from the the Bible in any way, shape, or form that we are under the obligation to fulfill any of the law whatsoever. And um, in the book of Galatians and other places, we find strong argument for the fact that a Christian is not under the law but under grace. Now that doesn't mean that we live the way we want. It doesn't mean that the law has no benefit. You remember the things we talked about, and we went through the New Testament to learn these. We said there are six basic questions we can ask when we come to the Old Testament. Now, does anyone remember? You say it's not in your outline. It's not, okay? Do you remember what they are? 
Any of them. Okay, well, we do want to ask ourselves, what is the purpose? That, as we were talking about studying the Word of God itself. Okay, one of the things is, do I see Jesus? Remember, Jesus said this, search the Scriptures, talking obviously about the Old Testament because the New Testament hadn't been written. He says, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify me. So I can read the Old Testament looking for Jesus. And there are places where I will find him, and a number of places I will find him in the Old Testament, which is interesting because uh, some people would say you don't, but he is, all right? Uh, another thing, and it's what we always, almost always, quote or at least share from Romans chapter 15 when we look back and we study the Old Testament. You remember what that, remember what that is? Should have just looked at it the other day. Uh, well, the Old Testament was written for our. Okay, that, that just comes back. That we, through the patience and, and hope, uh, 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 the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And uh, so these things were written. So we look for, is there any hope or is there any uh, anything in here that gives us an idea of, of hope? Uh, do you remember 1 Corinthians chapter 10? See, I need to preach this again. Maybe this is the message we're going to have to deal with today. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that um, uh, Paul, when he writes to the church at Corinth, said, the Israelites and what happened to them and their sin and failure with God and their judgment of God was written as an example, something for us to learn from. So we can look in the Old Testament and ask ourselves another question. Is there admonition here? Is there something I need to pay attention to that, that will change my life and that will challenge me to live right? The, the fourth thing, and this one isn't necessarily based on a, a verse necessarily, but pretty much the truth. If these things are true and the scripture is given by inspiration of God, the question I ask is, is there a New Testament truth which the Old Testament clarifies or elaborates on. And quite honestly, when I look at the book of Proverbs, I see a lot of New Testament truth, which is in some ways and in many ways clarified as Solomon gives us statements of fact and truth that, um, that really are valuable for everyday life and there are things that are taught in the New Testament as well. But in some ways, just those start short statements, he makes great principles that we need to follow. So is there New Testament truth clarified, elaborated on in any way in the Old Testament? Uh, number five, we learn and we are told that uh, from in the Old Testament that God is holy. And 1 Peter chapter 1 references that, and he says, be ye holy as I am holy. And so when we look in the Old Testament, we can look for passages and truths that will teach us about the holiness of God. In fact, taking that the next step further, number six, would be what knowledge of God is found. Remember that we are grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that a Christian is to be growing in knowledge of him. So getting a knowledge of God is crucial for me being a Christian I ought to be. We're to get a better picture of who God is and how God works than the Old Testament. Really, there are so many lessons to be learned about God, about who he is, um, what, what he would have us, what, what he thinks about matters. And so in asking these questions, we get, we get a, wow, we get a long message from the law. 
We really do for Christians today. Yes. So uh, I got. I said I'm going to go back. So I'm going to go back. Page, 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 page. All right, 13 pages long. All right. So what we have, first of all, in the law is we gave you the layout. You remember the layout? Yeah. If you still have those notes, if not, then put it down. All right. Row number one was the layout. In these chapters, chapter 21 through chapter 34, there's basically three things that go on, three things that take place. We have, first of all, what? Judicial guidelines. And we remember they said this. This is the if-then section of the law. In fact, you're going to find a number of times that God will say if, and then he'll say then. In fact, uh, right there in uh, chapter um, Let's see, if I can say, verse 25 of chapter 22. If thou lend money to any of my poor that is, that is poor by thee, thou shalt not. If then, okay, um, if thou at all, verse 26, uh, take thy neighbor's raiment for, for pledge, thou shalt deliver it unto him. So if then, the word then isn't there, but you're getting the idea. That is how God approaches this law and tells us many times, judicial guidelines. And then after the judicial guidelines, which go all the way to Exodus 24, and I'm hoping that we get done with that through verse 18. Okay, I, I'm not going to take long. We'll, we'll move quickly on this. Then we have what? Worship instructions. Very good. All right, someone said it. Verses 25 to 34, Moses is given instructions regarding the tabernacle to be built for the worship of God. Uh, and then as well, what was to be done with Aaron and his sons who were to be priests and how they were to be uh, set apart and, and how they were supposed to have special clothing. Man, I'll tell you what, they wore some really weird things, it seems like, it appears, you know, you read that through. Um, and and it, was, it was very, but it was very unique because the worship of God was to be a very precious and special thing and different and unique because we're talking about a holy God who is far above us. And so uh, we have worship instructions. And then uh, we have, and, and it wasn't really three, yeah, I guess it is three sections because in chapter 32, verses 1 to 14, and back in chapter 24 and verse 3, we have what? There were responses. All right, congregational responses. And I think you already know this. We already know what that last part is about. What was the response of the congregation to all these laws and to the things God said? Yes, sir, Lord. We'll do it. All right. So then we then we began into the lessons, the lessons. So from the judicial guidelines, that's where we're at now, we learned a number of things, the lessons to be learned from the judicial guidelines. Uh, first thing, verse 1 of chapter 22, 21, is it 21? Uh, yeah, chapter 21, is that God is judged, the absolute and only authority for right and wrong. There is right and wrong, and God is the judge. That's what we already mentioned. We learned and we said that God is just. This is a, a summary of the entire law because over and over God says, this is right, this is wrong, God is a just God. This is how you deal with this. You, you, when, when someone steals something, this is what you're supposed to do. And if they steal and they're caught with it, this is what you do. And if they're st they steal and uh, they sell it off, then here's what you do. And if they have stolen things and they can't return those things or they cannot pay what they're supposed to, then you sell them. I mean, there's just, God is a just God. He, he doesn't, he don't tolerate, he, he don't tolerate sin. He doesn't tolerate wrong. He's just. He wants things to be done right. He calls for equal punishment for evils done to others. Uh, that's where you get the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. 
uh, which, by the way, is totally ignored today. And uh, he calls for proper restitution, chapter 22, verses 1 to 9. He, um, and then the third thing we learned under this, these judicial laws, God wants us to treat people right. Chapter 21, verses 7 to 11. We also learn, and this is important and it's ignored today. In fact, it was mentioned for prayer this morning. Um, there are churches even involved in, in dabbling in things that are occultic. Okay, they are dangerous. Um, and, and there's things going on that you, you would think Christians should have some discernment in this people. But God hates the occult, perversion, and pagan worship. God hates those things. That was number four, 20, chapter 22, verse 18. And then here's where we're at, verse 21 and 22 and 23 and 24, and all the way through 27, we started to say there are four important truths. And the first is the story, like the story we just told you, God is a compassionate God. He has a concern for the widow. He has a concern for. And, um, and we see God as this, uh, not as an ogre in heaven beating people over the head, not as a God judging Israel because he hated Israel, because he loved Israel. And because God had done so many things for Israel, but they kept rejecting him when God finally said enough is enough. But God showed himself to be that God of love. And my friends, we're supposed to have that same kind of love for one another. We're supposed to have that same kind of love for those who are in need and those who cannot do and those who do not have. And... Um, and we, we should emulate Jesus Christ. Uh, we uh, learn in this chapter, and let me give you now the, the three other things that we can glean from, from the, these verses we just read a few moments ago. God is a God of wrath, which is interesting, isn't it? Love and wrath are both found, and love and wrath are both, if you would mention, in the very same verses. See, God cares about the widow, and God cares about the childless, but God's going to judge the one who doesn't care for the, the widow and doesn't care for the childless and mistreats them. In fact, says, I'm going to judge you to the place where I'm going to take your life and I'm going to leave your wife and your kids that way. So we have a God of love and wrath. Isn't that amazing? Because look, every time I hear people, I hear new evangelicals talk about the Old Testament, it's like God is a God of wrath and then God is a God of love. And like there's this dichotomy in God and there isn't. He is a, both a God of, of love and a God of judgment and wrath. And, uh, and, you, and, and that is found in the Old Testament and in the New. And we don't have this uh, two different pictures of God. We have a God being a God of, of love and compassion, and then we have God being a God of wrath. And you say, well, where do we see that in the New Testament? Romans 12, 17 and 21. Say what? Uh, we're not to avenge ourselves. We're not to take revenge on people. You, why? You learn it in Romans 12, 17 and 21. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. God is a God of wrath. And we don't only really see that concept in Romans chapter 12 and in other places in the New Testament, but we come to the end of, of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, and what do we find God doing? At the end, when, there's, when we have the judgment that we call the great white throne judgment, when men stand before God, what happens to them? Well, they're judged out of the books. Whosoever is not found written in the book of life is cast in the lake of fire. It's interesting. Do you know, maybe you haven't contemplated this, but there's books. 
So, so understand this. Even lost people are going to be judged by their works. Now, I, I don't know what exactly that means, except it seems to imply, at least in my, the best of my knowledge, that there must be degrees of punishment in hell. Uh, that people, based on how they've lived life or what they've done, that there is a, perhaps a greater judgment for some than for others. Maybe it's opportunities, but the, they're judged out of, their, the, out of the books out of, for their works. So we have the book of life that determines eternal life, heaven or hell, dependent on if you're written in the book of life. But then we have the other books that God will bring out. And uh, you know what? I'm not worried about it because I already know it's, it's taken care of. I know where my name is. And I'm also not worried about it because, because God didn't reveal any more about it than that. And so we don't want to surmise too much, and we don't want to say something the Bible doesn't say. But it is a very interesting thought. But God is a God of wrath. So we find God being a God of compassion. We find God being a God of wrath. We find in verse 27, at the end of the verse, that God is, and, and we could have said this under compassion too, but it's a different thought a little bit, that God is what at the end of the verse? He's gracious. God is a gracious God. So we got this picture of judgment. We have a picture of grace. Isn't that a beautiful picture of, of what God has offered in salvation? It really is. And I'm not saying it was written for that reason, but what, it, what is so intriguing to me is we, we find in Scripture, in Ephesians chapter 2 for the Christian, that you used to be under God's wrath. You were under the prince of, the, of, of this world. You served him. And now God has done great things for you, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so God has done a great work. We've got wrath, and then we have grace of God. Um, it speaks tenderly in these verses to the poor, promising to be gracious when men have treated them wrong. And then there's something that I actually had missed as I had read through it a few different times, and I was coming to the end and getting this ready, and it, and it just jumped out at me. Look in verse 21 again. Thou shalt neither vex a stranger nor oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Ye shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If thou afflict them in any wise, and here's the statement that jumped out, and they cry it all unto me, what did God say? All right, so, so honestly, I was coming to law, I'm looking at these things, I'm thinking, okay, we got wrath, we got God's grace, we have God's compassion, but we also have a God in this passage who answers prayer. So God answers prayer. And quite honestly, that's something I'm kind of surprised to see in the law. Not that I didn't know that to be true or that the New Testament doesn't tell me that or the Old Testament doesn't tell me that, but it's funny to see in the law that God says, you know what, if someone cries to me who's being mistreated, I will take care of it because I will hear their prayer. Now, that should encourage your heart. If God will hear the, the cry of, if this is true, even a, a, a okay, well, this is for the Jews, so it would be for, the, for God's people, all right? But if God will hear their cry when they're in need, then you can expect God to hear yours as well. And it's so encouraging to be reminded of that truth in the law. Um, so what valuable lessons to gain there? Now let's go on, if we can. Uh, verse 28 of chapter 22. And what does God teach us there? Thou shalt not revile the gods, nor curse the ruler of thy people. Well, that's real helpful. But there is a lesson. And it's a lesson that's taught in Romans chapter 13. Does anyone know what Romans chapter 13 is about in New, T New Testament? It's about government. The first seven or so or eight verses of that chapter deal with our response to or attitude toward the government, which is hard to have. Uh, 
Peter deals with that subject. Paul deals with that subject. And I always love to think about this, but when we talk about it, and I could get off on a rabbit trail here, but these are men who, who faced unfair, unjust government who mistreated them terribly for no law that was broken just because they didn't like the fact that they believed in Jesus Christ and because they served Jesus Christ. But those men tell us to respect authority. And in this passage and in the law, God reminds us of the very same thing. He says, in essence, what Romans 13 deals with. God demands respect for authority. God demands respect for authority. Thou shalt not revile the gods nor curse the rule of thy people. Now, this is an interesting statement because uh, there's a, a, a kind of a discussion and a debate about what is the actual meaning of thou shalt not revile the gods. For, for, for example, why is there anything wrong with saying that, that the gods are false? They're wrong. In fact, many Old Testament uh, people did. They said that there are no gods. So, so what is he talking about there? Some people, the word for gods there is Elohim, and some believe that it's actually talking about, it's talking about God. And that in that first phrase, he's saying you're not to revile God, or then the second part of the verse, and some don't agree with this, but, but it, it, it seems like it's at least a legitimate argument that it could be meant. You don't revile God, who is the ultimate authority, or the ones that God has placed in authority, and God has given authorities in life. Now, um, if it's talking about not reviling, reviling the gods, uh, maybe it would be you just don't incite uh, you know, the, the enemy of God and other things like that. But I think that is, it is a valid interpretation, understanding. But nonetheless, whatever interpretation you give, the statement ultimately is there's a proper authority you're supposed to, or a respect you're supposed to have for authority because authority ultimately is of, is of God. And we know that to be true from Romans 13. And as a Christian, I need to understand that. Now, I think this is really an appropriate lesson for us today because we're faced with a government that is more and more becoming hostile toward, not uh, accepting of, and very hostile toward Christianity. Um, now, it doesn't mean that we don't get up and report their faults or errors. It doesn't mean that we don't, that we don't stand up and say, this is wrong, this is right, what is going on, the decisions being made in government are wrong decisions or right decisions, whatever the case may be. It doesn't mean that we don't rebuke things. It does mean, though, that in, in regard to all of this, we ultimately have such a respect for authority that whenever we can, we obey God's word. And I'm sorry, we obey the authority, and we do what the authority tells us to do, whether we agree with it or not. I don't agree with taxes. I don't know if anyone does, but, but, I, but I pay them. Um, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of decisions that are being made that, that uh, I don't agree with and I'm very, in fact, very opposed to. And there are some things where I just, I will not do what has been said, just as in the New Testament and the Old Testament, saints had to do that. Didn't Daniel? The three Hebrew children? I mean, they're, Dan, the book of Daniel is a tremendous example of how to have respect for authority and yet at times defy authority tremendous lesson for us and I think Daniel Daniel chapter 1 through chapter 6 is is like a lesson in Romans 13 for us to contemplate so God expects us to have an a respect for authority 
Look in chapter, uh, in, in the same chapter, because I haven't left the chapter, right? Verses 29 and 30. What's going on in these verses? Delay to offer the first of thy ripe fruits and of thy liquors. The firstborn of thy sons shalt thou give unto me. Likewise shalt thou do with thine oxen and with thy sheep. Seven days it shall be with his dam. On the eighth day thou shalt give it to me. What is God teaching? Ah, okay. Tithing. Giving. He's teaching giving. So I, I, I put it this way, and it's something we can learn from the law, believe it or not. God expects giving. Now, it's not that we believe this because the Old Testament law says it and because we're under the law and we have to follow it, but because the New Testament teaches giving. Uh, Corinthians, sec, I want to say 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Could be wrong about that. It's either first or second. I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Two chapters deal extensively with giving. Corinthians mentions something about giving. And God, here's something that's interesting. Before the law, God commanded giving. After the law, God commands giving. During the law, God commands giving. From the very beginning, Cain and Abel knew they were supposed to bring offerings to God. Where'd they learn that? Law wasn't around because God has taught from the very beginning that, that he demands giving. And it's interesting to me when, when I hear Christians say, oh, yeah, well, I don't know about that tithing stuff. Look, God demands giving. Whether, whether or not you want to get into the debate about tithing saying it's under law, which I don't believe it is because Abraham did and so did Jacob, uh, those men were not under the law, but they they practice the matter of giving. But God expects us to be givers. Now, say, how much? Uh, let's go to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. We're not going to do it now, but I mean, look it, look it up. But God expects giving, and we can learn that from the law. Chapter 23, verses 1 to 11. It begins, and I'm not going to read all the verses for the sake of time, but he says, thou shalt not raise a false report Put not thine hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. Thou shalt not follow a multitude to the even, neither shalt thou speak in any cause to decline after many to rest judgment. Neither shalt thou countenance a poor man in his cause. And God is going to tell us how to treat people. God calls on men to uh, three different things. God calls on men to be honest, to do what is right in this passage, and to be compassionate. I think it's interesting as I've read the law and as I've gone through it and as I've been studying it and thinking through it a little bit more in depth than I have in the past is that many of the laws are not do's and don'ts in the sense that, that well, well, there, thou shalt not, thou shalt, if, then. I, I get it. But these are just, in many cases, just good things. They're just good. It's, it's like common sense, you know. So you don't lie when you stand when you when you sit in court. You don't lie for anyone. It doesn't matter who it is. Doesn't matter if it's your kid. Doesn't matter who it is. You just tell the truth. No, no one should have to make you raise a hand in court and say, I, "I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth." Actually, I don't even know if they ask you to do that anymore because I don't know if anyone could do that anymore as far as far as men are concerned. Shouldn't have to do that. No one should have to uh, ever question what you have, you share exactly what you observed and what you know to be true. That's what a Christian is supposed to do. You're to be honest. You're to do what's right by people. We see that in verse, uh, in verse two, in verse three, 
you don't look upon people and say, well, he can't do anything for me, so I'm going to favor this guy who can do something for me. Do you know all the stuff that's going on in government? Oh, it gets me so bent out of shape. Like the um, you know, junkets that government officials go on. You say, what is that? Uh, trips that are paid for by individuals and, uh, and to allow them to go on a trip here, to a trip to you know, all sorts of different places, not because they're, they're trying to deal with laws or problems or other things like that, but because, because they're, they're being uh, given, if you would, bribes. That's not the word that they would use. And, and we've got a, a people today that are, are, are throwing out justice to, because, hey, look, this, is, um, th- this will favor the, kind of the people that I'm for, and this is against the people I'm, I'm against. So I'm going to vote this way, even though it's right, not right or wrong anymore. Uh, it's, really, it's really tragic. There are people who are being bought. You should do what's right all the time. And then you should be compassionate and, and caring. Um, doing right is expected in the court of law, and the Old Testament law says that, and by the way, the New Testament says that. Treating people with compassion and treating people right is taught in the New Testament. You have heard it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Who spoke those words? Jesus, when he was giving the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. Look at verse 4. If thou meet thine enemy's ox or his ass going astray, what are you supposed to do? Bring it back. But he's my enemy. I can just leave it here. No. What God teaches is exactly what he taught in the New Testament, what he said that people should follow. Hey, look. So So they're your enemy. Do good. Do good. Years ago, a pastor in Macedonia told of God opening a door to reach Turks for Christ, and he got up and he explained that to his congregation. After the service, a lady from the church came up, placed money in the pastor's hand, and said, I want this money to be used to win Turks to Christ. There was a slight pause, and then she said, They killed my brother, but I want to be the first to give money to reach them. That's the fulfillment of the law. That, that is uh, living out what God expected in Exodus 23 and what God expects of Christians in the New Testament age. It is. Um, and there are so many things about compassion in this passage and just caring for people. But I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it there because I said I'm going to get done, and I am going to get done. Um, come to the end of the, the if you would, the, the section uh, dealing with the if-thens and the, the commands and instructions of, of the law. God ends it in verse 13, pretty much, by saying, and in all things that I have said unto you, what does God want? Be circumspect. Here's what Ephesians 5 says. See then that ye walk circumspectly not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. 
There are things that God in the Old Testament law expected that God in the New Testament age expects. He expects Christians to walk circumspectly. Say, what, what, what do you mean by that? The word means literally to be attentive to, to guard, to protect. What are we supposed to guard? What are we supposed to protect? Ultimately, right and wrong. If God, God teaches, there's right, there's wrong. And I am in my life to be a circumspect Christian today, living, if you would, not just a balanced life, but a life saying there is right, there is wrong. I want to know what right is. I want to know what wrong is, and I want to avoid the wrong, and I want to do the right. Circumspect. I want to guard. I want to protect that which God has said. To do that, i got to know what God has said. To do that, I have to love God enough that I'm willing to put aside myself because God's going to say things that I need to do that I don't want to do. My flesh doesn't want to do it. There's a lot of things to be said about it. But God wants me to live a circumspect life. And it's interesting that God comes to the end of the law and he says, live circumspect. And throughout the New Testament, he says the same thing he did in Ephesians. Live a circumspect life. Look, just, just live a life that guards and protects that which is right and, and if you would, hates that which is evil and, um, and, and live that way. That's what pleases God. And that admonition God gave in the Old Testament to the Jews, strictly, yes, God gives in the New Testament and challenges us about the same thing. So that gets us through the if-then section, if you would, the judicial laws, but there's still more to be learned. Another message for another time, which, Lord willing, will be next week, so Brother Beals won't have to write it down. We're going to have to go back and check it out sometime later on because we're actually going to get to it later on. All right? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you so much for giving us uh, in the law, um, not do's and don'ts for our life today, but, but instructions and guidelines that you do expect us to follow because in the New Testament, you restate these things that are supposed to be part of our life. So help us to learn from the law and help us to be like our God, holy, compassionate, loving, gracious, but also help us to not tolerate sin and wrong. And may we learn to be circumspect Christians, just guarding that which is right and protecting um, uh, that which is good and right and just and, and hating that which is evil and standing firmly against it because that's what a Christian is supposed to do. And we thank you for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for